He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Figo. And then Ronaldo! Here comes Eddie. Not got much help. Oh, he doesn't need any help. How about that? Portugal. And tonight they've been simply magnificent. Champions of Europe 2016. Hello and welcome to episode number 7 of the Portuguese Football Show brought to you by Prossima Jornada and hosted by myself, Aaron. As always, I'm joined by my guest, Philippe. Hello, brother. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm uh, delighted. In fact, <laughs> after uh, after the two games from, from last night, really entertained by both. I've just been catching up, to be honest, this morning on the uh, Mino derby. But I'm sure we'll get into both of those games and a lot more as the show goes on. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, people need to know that we're recording this in the morning. Yeah, it's so going to be well slow. Yeah, it makes a change, doesn't it? Usually, uh, usually we're um, on the microphone at about half ten, eleven o'clock at night <laughs> after the games finish. But yeah, this is a bit of an early morning. I say early morning; it's still half ten. <laughs> yeah, as is early morning. Yeah, but yeah, very very early. Right, um, we'll just get straight into it. So, I'm not sure which category this falls under, to be honest, Philippe, because. We have the Portuguese abroad, and then we also have like Liga Nos, but this is neither. I suppose it's the Portuguese in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, obviously, the game that uh, we all watched last night, Juventus versus Porto in Turin. It was one of the most dramatic games I've saw in recent years, and to be honest, it it was one of the best games I've watched post pandemic if you can say that post sort of lockdown post no fans saw some other people online saying something similar that especially in recent weeks and months football has became a little bit uh, people are getting a little bit sick of it to be honest i can see that's an increasing trend particularly online and people talking about maybe the oversaturation of it there's Lots of matches on all the time. There's no fans in the stadium. It's being dominated by VAR decisions and offside decisions and handball decisions. And I think, yeah, there's um, there's a lot of people who maybe just need a break away from football. And, like, I fully understand that. Last night's game, to be honest, felt like... It felt like a game where you completely forgot there was no fans in the stadium. And what I mean by that is, if fans were there, it would have been even more electric but the actual game itself was so good so good to watch just so entertaining so end-to-end uh, both teams that it almost it almost felt like a game as I say sort of pre-pandemic I don't know if that makes sense or whether that's just me but yeah it was um, wonderful so just to, a quick recap on the game Porto went, went in with a 2-1 advantage but obviously Juventus came in with that crucial away goal and um, yeah Porto actually got off to a flying start they scored in under 20 minutes from the penalty spot uh, Sergio Oliveira with a, a brilliant penalty and it was no more than Porto deserved in that first half it was an absolute masterclass from Sergio Conceição and he deserves all the credit for that first half performance they defended 
in a six at times. They had the wingers were dropping back and helping out the fullbacks. Musa Marega played his role so so well. Uh, the defenders in Bember and Pep were just absolutely fantastic. And then, as I say, they they went one nil up, and that's sort of three one on aggregates. And they had the away goal. Second half kicked off. Chiesa, that man again, popped up two or three minutes after half time with their um, with the equaliser on the night, and that sort of was the springboard turnaround point for the game, especially because just five minutes later, Medi Taremi was sent off for a second yellow card. He was dismissed for kicking the ball away. He claimed he didn't hear it, uh, which is a load of nonsense, to be honest. <laughs> it was just um, an absolutely ridiculous decision from himself. He'll be the most relieved man in Italy last night. And you could see that at full time. He was crying in those photos with Concesao. And um, it just looked more like relief than anything because, as I say, his teammates then had to go on and play 35 minutes, sorry, 40 minutes. They added five minutes of time on at the end as well. 40 minutes of normal um, time with 10 men. Then they went to the half an hour of extra time, which also had like five minutes, well, three minutes added on, but he played five minutes. So all in all, he played nearly an entire match with 10 men. And yeah, the scenes, five minutes... Chiesa actually scored, sorry, in the in the sixty third minute, so just ten minutes after Taremi got sent off. And then it looked then at that point that Juventus had twenty five minutes just to put the game to bed. They just needed one more goal and that would have done it. Then they went into extra time. Sergio Oliveira, that man again, stepped up for the free kick. It was such a bizarre free kick, looking back, like just the execution of it. It's it like low and hard. I was thinking at the time, did he mean that? Is that what he meant to have pull off? Um the wall tearing its back, it just sort of finding a gap, getting so close to the post and then should the keeper have done better, it was just I mean I'm sure Porto supporters won't be um, they won't mind how it went in, but yeah absolute scenes when, when that went in and that looked all the world like Porto were going to go through and then Adrian Rabio scores almost from kick-off uh, with a header it was, they, they won a corner I think like 30 seconds later and then, all of a sudden, it's back to Juventus only need one goal in the next three, four minutes. And then there's added time. So they actually had six or seven minutes to find another goal. But um, but they couldn't. And ultimately, Porto ran out. Uh, winners, losers on the night, but winners on aggregates. 4-4 draw and he went through on away goals. And absolute jubilation at full time. Uh, there's a photo myself and you were talking about it yesterday Philippe the the Porto fans sorry the Porto players celebrating and then Francisco Conceição <laughs> just standing next to them like it looks like a kid in the park doing keepy ups like it's just really told his age someone actually replied on Twitter and said that looks like uh, he's got the face of someone who's going to batter that football as hard as he can and that's actually what it looked like he's yeah. about to kick it out of the stadium out of the what stratosphere <laughs> It's like when you're a kid and your parents are watching football, but you're still not like super engaged on watching football. You just want to play. And like you watch yeah. five minutes and then you go and play football. It looks like him. <laughs> you go outside at half time. Yeah. <laughs> Miss 10 minutes of the second half. Yeah. Um, it was just absolutely... What a what a, what a performance. And, and from um, obviously we champion all Portuguese sides, it was just great to see 
a Portuguese side advanced to the quarter final. And if any, and it just it made me really optimistic because in recent years it's been in the Champions League, especially Porto, that have sort of held flown the flag, if you will, for for Portugal. And there's been sides in the Europa League that have that have done well. Benfica have went um, to the knockout rounds, Braga, and this season it's looking like Sporting will go to the group stages of the Champions League. Second place in the Premier League will go to the Champions League also. There's a third place qualifier. Hopefully, the third, whoever that third place team is, if they can win their you know playoff round, which will be incredibly difficult because they'll come up against a really good opponents. That's you know sort of for sure in that playoff round in the Champions League. It's full of great teams, and then obviously you've got the teams going into the Europa League, and just made me hopeful. There's so much sort of negativity around the league at the moment, and the supposed drop off in quality and and stuff. But yeah, I just think it made me think I can't wait to watch more Portuguese teams in the Champions League next year and hope they can really make a good go of it. But, um, yeah, Philippe, just thoughts on the game, thoughts on the entire night, really. Do you know, I, like, while you were speaking, I was thinking if there was any other Portuguese game in the Champions League with so much emotion in terms of how the game was. And honestly, the closest I remember is when 2004 when Costinha scored against Man United in the last minute. Yes. And, and, even, and in 17 years from yesterday as well. Yeah, it's the same day, the 9th of March, 2004. Yeah, Crazy but, but even game. before that, it's, it's hard to think about a game that so much happened in the Champions League um, that went in Portuguese club favour. Because I remember one when Porto played against Schalke, it was quite emotional as well, and went to penalties, and Manuel Neuer... Um, think won the game for Schalke that day but yeah it was such a good game so much thing happens as well but um, in terms of he was speaking about the free kick yes it's, it's crazy because everyone in the world turned their back it's like they go free Sergio Oliveira made such a big runaway that they all got a free and they turned their back and the ball goes between the wall so it's a bit harsh on blame on 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 the keeper because mm. he's not expecting that the wall's yeah. going to turn their back uh, I think I think, but yeah, so many mistakes. And then in the game itself, the first half was amazing. Porto plays so so well. I think in the first half only, I think Marega for me would be the the player or the first half because we were speaking half time and I think he done amazing. He was doing two jobs because he had to be the main threat going forward and he had to close down on the right hand side because Corona was following and almost be a second fullback. And after Taremi sent off, uh, I think the first 15 minutes, Porto struggled in the second half when they conceded the goal as a sent off. But I think it was the only moment where I could see Juventus being actually superior to Porto. Then uh, the first substitution, I don't think uh, Sergio, Oliver, uh, Sergio Conceição changes well because he moves on the right-hand side, but the problem were coming from where Codrado was. But then when he puts Luis Diaz in, I think that was that was spot on because he meant Luis Diaz had fresh legs, could actually press Quadrado because the only out ball that uh, Juventus tried to do every moment of the game, he was all going in behind in the second half for Chiesa, which played like amazingly as well for Juventus, or was going a ball in the middle, going out wide to Quadrado, and then Quadrado whip a ball in for the space between Bemba and Manafa, where so many chances were created on that side. And I think when Luis Diaz was able actually to put more pressure on Quadrado, the Porto was able to, to defend a lot easier. Uh, but yeah, Pepe, amazing. There was the stat going on where he won absolutely every aerial duel 
the Mendes a bicycle kick in the last second of the game to to save Porto, uh, legend. Um, Bemba, I think, played amazing. Machezin played amazing. Sergio Oliveira played amazing. The only one I think struggled a bit was actually Manofa. He couldn't close the gap between him and Bemba, and he suffered with Chiesa. Um, but apart from that, it was just incredible. And in Sergio Conceição, yes, it was the game plan was perfect. I was a bit afraid that he would change to uh, back three or maybe to you know, four two three one type of thing. But he kept the same plays in a four four two that he's been playing lately. Well, he plays almost every time, but when he plays big games, he normally changes. And then the Corona closing down Alexandro and uh, Otavio closing on the on the left hand side, making actually a, a line of six when Porto was uh, quite deep. Uh, and then the two centre mids were, were perfect. I think everyone done a very, very good job. Yeah, 100%. That's it. It was being given a, a task and in the case of Musa Marega and, and as you say, the, the, the wingers getting getting back and helping out the fullbacks. It wasn't just one task. Sometimes it was two or three tasks and you just alluded to, to Marega there. In terms of what I thought as well, it's the first half. It, it wasn't just a really, really good defensive performance. No, they were able they, to, to counter very, very yeah, effectively. They, and they yeah. had the ball during long spells of the time. Yeah. Because Juventus breaks so easily. It fails there. When they go forward, they they throw a lot of men going forward. But a lot of them don't... Either, it feels like they don't really know what to do. Because if you think Porto closed well done the space inside. But um, there was no much movement. Because in theory, uh, Juventus put three centimeters in the middle. With Ramsey, he starts on the right, becomes to the middle. Then he had Rabiot, he had uh, Arthur. And they were still not able to to touch the ball in the between the lines, and it was so easy to, to it was to, so easy to and when to transition yeah and then when Porto won the ball they had so much time to keep the ball they it's, they didn't have to go everything do it super quickly because Juventus were not able to press them well yeah I felt like when when Porto when they broke away with the ball especially you saw it about three or four times in the first half alone when they break on the left hand side so when the ball would break onto the left. Juventus players, especially those midfield players you, you were speaking about there, they sort of came in left towards the ball and they left so much space on the right-hand side. Like, there was it, it, there was a runner there constantly on the right-hand side, whether it was, um, like, Manofar. They always just acres of space. And on, on a couple of occasions, Porto didn't find that sort of pass, like, the, the right pass. And that was disappointing, but, like... There were so many chances for, for Porto to get in and Marega had that chance and the the they had to pull off, I think, to at the end of the at the end of the first half. They had the same amount of shots on target. And I think Porto had more more shots, more chances. And yeah, it, it, as I say, going into the game I, I had a little bit of um a little bit of anxiety towards the approach of the game in terms of Okay, defensively, you know you can count on Mbemba and Pep, especially for for the big games, as you say. I mean that man, thirty eight years of age, doing a bicycle kick in in, in like near the near the end of the game after playing one hundred and twenty minutes. It's just ridiculous, and um, yeah. It, it, but in terms of going forward, would would Porto be enough of a threat? And okay, the first goal was a set piece, and the second goal was a set piece, but. 
they get those set pieces because they're in those dangerous areas. You know, they win the penalty because they're in the box being a nuisance. And... Yeah, and even after we turn, Porto still had a few chances. It was not yeah. like uh, they were never able to break. They were still able to create uh, danger because mm-hmm. in defensive transition, Juventus are absolutely terrible. Yeah. But you could see when you watch uh, Juventus games in the league, it's exactly the same thing. They kept hitting so many straight balls over the top. Like, they had absolutely no, like, there was nothing in them. They were just, it was like they were being, it was like they were being shot out of, like, a cannon. Like, they would go in the exact same place every single time. And for them two at the back, Pep and Mbemba, they're just thinking, yep, yeah, all day, every day, this is nice and easy. Like, that is exactly what they want to do. It's It weren't like the balls were being played, you know, over the head or in those sort of half spaces between the centre-halves and the keeper, or they were being played, you know, out wide. It was like the just straight balls that were coming to them. Pep's reading of the game is ridiculous, so even if it looks like a ball's going to go over his head... At 38 years of age, he still, his positioning is so good and his reading of the game is so good that he'll take two steps back or move and know exactly where he needs to be. That's why he wins every single aerial duel. That's because he, that's how he clears. 18 clearances he made. And, you know, that's not because he happens to be in the right place at the right time every time. That's because he adjusts to every single type of pass. But as I said, just in that first half, I think they were trying the same thing over and over and over again, knowing it wasn't working, but continue to do so, which was strange for me. But all in all, absolutely delighted for Porto to get through to be representing Portugal in the sort of in the last in the latter stages, the last eight, the quarter final. Can um, two things just to say more about yeah. this game? It's not even about the game; it's more about the future. One is is it. Sergio Conceição yesterday um, completely convinced Juventus to yes. sign him. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think Pelo will be gone eventually. And then second question. Everyone speaks about the post decision that Felix, and we spoke about last week, made to go to Atletico. Mm-hmm. I think Ronaldo right now is thinking he probably made the wrong decision as well. Because yeah. three seasons where they get knocked out by teams, they suppose they are stronger than individually because they lose against Ajax uh, three seasons ago, uh, last season they lose against Lyon in the same stage, and this season they lose against Porto. So, if his dream was to win at the Champions League in another country with another club to make three in different, uh, winning by three different clubs, I think right now he's thinking where he's going to go next. As you say, Concesao, he's been forever linked with not just Juventus but just a move to Serie A. Yeah, especially Lazio, and yeah, he used to play that. His, his, manage, his management style in terms of he's fairly tactically flexible um, he doesn't mind having you know sort of a defensive approach he's got obviously he's got a nasty streak in him which gets his players sort of on side as well um, very very animated with, with, with the uh, with the media and yeah um, one of those say he's a manager if, if he's managing your team you know you love him and fans of other club like uh, opponents absolutely hate him. <laughs> like just yeah. really, just really get on his nerves. But which is in a lot of ways, which was like what Jose Mourinho was like. It was sort of people didn't like that. Um, that not so, not so much arrogance, but yeah, just a bit of a, a slicey. But I think Italy, it's a match made in heaven for him. And I say last night it was, I saw someone online calling it an audition. 
He said he was a Serie A audition. Yeah, kind of. And I was like, you know what? That that makes sense because yeah. you can say all you want about how bad the Juventus side is, but he still went there with, you know, with Juventus having a deeper squad, a better squad, man for man, uh, at home, and with ten men, you know, with the odds sort of against you, at two one down on the night, and and still managed to pull it off. And I think, you know, what an audition, <laughs> and. Um, you, you can't underestimate the job that he's done at Porto either. He came in when you know they were in a period of of um, being dominated, and he came in and and turned it round. You know, and he won titles, and it might not you know happen for them this year. It looks like Sporting have sort of just ran away with the league, but the last couple of seasons. And in terms of even the Champions League participation, they've always been the they've always they always managed to get out of the group stages. They and they always do well in the group stages as well. No matter who they come up against in in the in the group stages, they they do well. Always finishing first or second, and you know sort of doing flying the flag for the coefficient as well, which it's important not to forget. I mean, when we're focusing solely on Portuguese football with absolutely no club bias whatsoever. Is the coefficient points are massive. You know the coefficient points are the reason why we got two teams going into the group stages next season and a third possibly going into into the groups also rather than just having that one guaranteed spot. So you know the more Portuguese clubs in Europe, the better. The better they perform, amazing. You know I know that's hard for for a lot of people with uh, who are so attached to the you know the, the clubs and you know they they call it club I don't they. Clubismo <laughs> in Portugal. I fully get that, but it's nice sometimes to just step away and think, isn't it great to see Portuguese clubs doing well in Europe? And um, yeah. yeah, yesterday, if you only if you absolutely hate Porto, you are not <laughs> going rooting for them, especially because of all the story being against a bigger club, they spend loads of money, they go down with 10 men, they keep on playing hard, they survive, they're still able to score. I think was I think it's one of those games that even the neutral that doesn't care about either of the clubs after especially the first half thinks okay I'm going to start rooting for these ones because yeah. it's such a good story especially after yeah. the center off. There was another game that was on that had Portuguese interest and that was the uh, Braga Vitoria game the Minho derby it was in the end a really really convincing win for Carlos yeah. Carvajal's men it was 3-0 uh, Lucas Piazon again back at it again uh, Abel Ruiz with the assist and then he scored Abel on, on... Ruiz is getting a form that no he, one believed he had he is playing so so well <laughs> yeah. uh, Braga has been playing so well this season and then obviously they lost the, the big goal threat and Paulinho going to Sporting and they're seeing you know Abel sort of step up he got a goal and assist yesterday in the last game, in the game before that, in the Tassa de Portugal, he scored two in a 3-2 win against Porto. So, decisive goals. The game before that, uh, National away in the league, uh, Braga won 2-1. He scored, well, ultimately, the decisive goal. Uh, then the game before that was uh, Roma in the Europa League. Game before that, an assist versus Tondela. And then when you look before that, he sort of isn't doing anything. Morales, yeah. Porto, Morales, Porto, Porto, Santa Clara, Roma. Uh, so he's sort of just burst into life. And Lucas Piazon is coming into really good form as well. It seems like he's in a real purple patch. And then the new boy, Andres Sporar, 
at the end as well, yeah. getting getting a goal. So all round a really impressive performance, and I, I I didn't see it going that I didn't see it being that one sided. But I always think that going into a derby because I always think it's it's always a, form usually goes a little bit out the window, and you know two two good sides really going into the game. Um, El Masrati who's just won. Today, I think it was announced. Was it? Was this morning? I was checking the news this this morning. Yes, he's the. Um, is he the midfielder of? Yeah, he's the midfielder of the month. Midfielder. Yeah. yeah. So, so that. Um, so I think they usually announce it position by position. So goalkeeper was Adam. Adam. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Um, Coates, I think, was defender. Yeah, Seba, the big goal scoring defender. <laughs> um, and then Al Musrati, uh, midfielder. Coates might be the strike of the man as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen that before, have we? A player winning in <laughs> multiple positions. Um, so, yeah. The... But yeah, yesterday the game was, was uh, very, very easy for Braga. Mm. And uh, it's a shame. Bra- uh, Guimarães had more ball. Uh, but Braga is just more effective and individual quality. And I think the two centimetres... I think now Francesca is clearly playing alongside Al Mujrati when he used to be playing as a, one of the more forward players. Um, since Piazza got in the team, Francesca went to play next to, to Al Mujrati and those two in the midfield control everything. So, so impressive. And then the 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 little the the new centre back he's not little he's young but he's not little uh, that we spoke uh, last week uh, Bruno uh, for Braga he played again and and he again he plays so so well he's going to be a top top centre back uh, with only eighteen yeah and defensively Guimarães they they make so so many mistakes and you can see the third goal uh, when Sporas scores okay Guimarães already broken because they're really trying to chase the game but. Um, but it's, it's so easy. The centre-backs are long gone. They're so far apart from each other. And it happens the same thing against Riwav a few weeks ago. Um, and it was the same thing. The center, One centre-back goes and press the ball. The centre-mids are too high on the pitch. One centre-back goes and press. And then the other centre-back gets too far. The full-back doesn't close the gap either. And there's a gap so easy for, for Braga to play through. And... Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a shame because Guimarães had so much quality. But even yesterday, when Quaresma gets brought in the game, he comes from injury for the last around half an hour, when Braga is already winning 2-0. And he puts Quaresma and takes Marcus Edwardov, which was until that moment uh, with Rochinha, the the biggest threat they have. I, I was thinking in this game, you could I can see Quaresma playing well as well as a behind-the-striker type of player. And you could still have Edwards on the right, uh, Rochinha on the left, and Quaresma uh, be more in the middle, free roll, because in the midfield will be a 2v2, so you can actually do that. And then Guimarães, obviously, Stupian was injured, so he couldn't play. Play Bruno Duarte, he has two good chances in the beginning of the second half, but he's, he's, I don't think he's the quality for, for Guimarães. Um, and that cost them because if they score in those, especially the first 10 minutes of the second half, uh, Guimarães actually was better in the game. And if he scores one of those two very good chances, then the game gets open again. But yeah, individual quality. Braga, in, even in, with Benfica, Port and Sporting, in terms of squad, the 23 players they have, um, they all very, very good. If one comes off, the one that comes in is the same quality. And Guimarães obviously doesn't have the same. Even just for like 
the likes of bringing you know someone like Nico Gaetan off the bench is just it's just amazing to see because like one I love Nico Gaetan uh, I loved him you know sort of his, in his first spell in in, in Portugal uh, Sporard coming off and and scoring that'll do wonders for his his confidence and um, Andre Orta coming off the bench so yeah they they've got you know quality and as you say so have, so have Vitoria they they've got especially coming off the bench uh, and um, I mean they recently signed Ruben Lameiras from from Milicao and obviously Keresma coming off the bench so yeah th- disappointing that it was so easy for Braga considering as you say Vitoria dominated the ball I mean, they played like three or four hundred more passes than Braga did so you could see like the dominance in terms of the possession, but Braga just took their chances. Yeah. As you say, the the Duarte chance is massive because that's that's a turning point. You know, if he if he scores that goal, it was at the was at the start of the second half. Like, yeah, yeah. So in the first seven minutes, there he has very two good chances to to yeah. score. He's not able to. And just just one more quick thing is it's such a shame. Such like we spoke about last week, where this was in my view the best game of of the week of the weekend. And to be played on the Tuesday at almost ten in the evening, how do you want to sell Portuguese football oh. in other countries when you have your probably the best game on mm. after a Porto Juventus? They could go. It went to extra time, so I we had to watch like with half an hour. So I start watching the game on the first half where I knew already it's going to be two nil. Um, and it's just a shame because a neutral that never heard about these two teams or just a bit. And it was okay. This is a big game. He's not going to start watching at uh, ten in the evening a football match. No. It's it's ridiculous. It is, and and even as I say, even in England, like we they broadcast games here on both on Premier Sports and on Free Sports. They didn't have the game on. They didn't have that game on yesterday. So nobody in England was was watching that game unless you've got a Sport TV overseas subscription or you yeah. get your or you watch your games through other dark. Um, ways which we which won't go no into. One does in here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, it is disappointing. And I, I actually saw um, someone make a point about that yesterday, uh, saying the, the scheduling of this game is just ridiculous because obviously they need to get the game on. And they don't want to put it later on in the week because then they have to play on the weekend. But it's just like, does it have to be on at that time? Like could, they could have done before. It's could they? Could they, they, not play have been, they could have played six. Six o'clock, yeah, six o'clock game, a half six game. No one would have, you know. And and if anything, for those people who are in Portugal, so not even an international audience, but those people in Portugal, Porto supporters who want to sort of get up for the game, you you would you'd go, you know, throw that on. Throw the Mino derby on where you know there's going to be you know fireworks at times. There's going to be some good play on display. That kicks off at six, and then the Porto game kicks off at eight. So it's like it's the perfect. Even if you're not a Porto supporter, it's the perfect game to just for an evening of football. You yeah. know, you, you finish it's, it's work. What in and, England, they do like City is yeah. going to play today at six before the Champions League games. Exactly, and well, it doesn't well, make any sense to play after because. Then what happened yesterday could actually happen, which was if the games got to extra time, people missed out the first half. <laughs> it's just yeah. crazy. They start for one of the what's supposed to be one of the best games of the season. Yeah. So ridiculous. But um, yeah. Okay. So in terms of the fixtures, we'll go in reverse order. We won't touch on all of the games because obviously time permitting. 
But yeah, in reverse order, we had Benfica take the trip to Bill and then Sad. They won 3 0. And what you were saying in last week or the week before's episode, Philippe, about Benfica having the ability to put together one of these solid runs towards the end of the season. And, you know, the season won't all be doing and gloom. And Jonada 22, match week 22, 3-0 win, convincing, three second half goals, Seferovic on 55 and 58, and then Lucas Verissimo getting his first goal for the club on 65 minutes. Professional display could have been, um, sort of could have been more. They... Yeah, they're, they're starting to put together some back-to-back wins now and it does feel like from now to the end of the season. But yeah, about the game, very, very quickly. Uh, it was very similar to the game last week against Riwav, which is a game of completely two different halves. The first half, Benfica was very, very slow moving the ball. Bilnens very easily controlled the game. Benfica were not able to create any danger apart from one minute. They have two good chances, but apart from that, nothing. Bolnes ended up having more shots in the first half, more corners, creating not much danger either. It was a quite boring and slow first half. But then again, that's the, the good thing about Jorge uh, Jesus is that he sees the game well and, and changes very well. Because even keeping the same players, the problem was Befico's not threatening nothing in behind. So no one was making runs in behind. So he had Lukas Valschmidt and Seferovic playing in front together. Like we spoke about a few weeks ago, where Darwin and Seferovic don't work together, Darwin got injured, and now you can see a different uh, two plays being different and, and complementary each other. But Lucas was always making movement towards the ball and make very easy for the back five of Bluenensch because there was nothing going in behind. So even if there was no pressure on the ball on the centre backs, you knew that he's not going to put the ball behind me, so I can stay. I can stay, keep my line. In the second half. Rafa and, and Lukas tried to make runs in behind and even Seferovic tried to make a few runs in behind which meant that now the back five cannot keep their line they need to drop because there's no pressure on the ball so when they drop it means that they will be create naturally space in the midfield where Pizzi could actually play and then and grab the ball there and play from there so the little change changed the game and then Befica got very very easy on the second half because Bolinas were not able to put pressure on the ball from the center back making the running behind, they had to drop, space was creating a midfield, and the the balls through after were, were so much easier to be to be played. So but yeah, like I said, I think next week, uh, I don't to be fair, I don't know who they're playing, but I think they'll be playing a bottom half team. And then there's the Braga game that will be the the biggest game for them because if they lose then I think even the second place will be will be done for them. But I think they are improving. We'll be curious to see when Darwin gets better if We'll be back in having Seferovic and Darwin, and that's not going to be good for Benfica. Or if Seferovic stays, or if he goes to the bench and Darwin plays, I'm very curious to see when he's back fit. Yeah, he's the um, he's the top scorer this season, Seferovic. After yes. the money spent on attackers and wingers and stuff, and it's um, Seferovic who gets gets criticism at at times from the Benfica fan base. And as I say, yeah, he's he's leading the. The, the team for scoring this season and in fact and actually what you said then about who they've got next week brings me on to my next point because when we were talking about relegation battles and we were talking about teams that have got the quality to not be down there and um, should likely see them starting to pull away Benfica have got Bovista who I wanted to talk about in terms of Premier League table they've pushed themselves up to 
at 21 points. Um, so their form is starting to improve. Obviously, they lost last week, but then they won, they won the week before that. They've drawn the week before that. So they've, um, I think, two defeats in the last six, which is a complete sort of turnaround from Sheswaldo Ferreira in terms of especially how they started the season. So they beat Famalicão 3-0 with um, goals from Mangas, Paulinho and Sebastian Perez. They faced, as I say, Familia Calcide, who was sitting, at the minute, 17th in the table. Uh, a win for Familia Cal would have seen them go above Bovista. So it was those type of games where you're playing against the teams who you're battling with. Like next week, Bovista against Benfica, they're not expected to get anything. So they're not, you know, they're not a free hit. Can't call them a free hit, but... It's those games against Maritimo, Familicao, Ferenc, Silvicente, Nacional, uh, Porto Marines, that will dictate sort of where they'll finish. So in terms of going into that Benfica game, uh, you know, if they can get a point or three and pull off a shock, then fantastic, you know, great for them. But if not, you know, nobody expected anything else. So, But they, they're a team who we, we spoke about in that relegation episode as having, you know, a fairly deep squad. They've got a very, uh, very seasoned coach in Gisualdo who knows, you know, sort of football in and out. And as I say, in terms of players, the likes of Angel Gomes, um, the experience at the back, the captain, uh, Xavi Garcia, um, then the likes of, you know, Reggie Cannon, like players who've got ability and who've got, you know, really good potential. And... Um, yeah, Familical got the, the sending off Ugart after 70, 74, 75 minutes. Uh, they're another team, Familical, they're just constantly sort of chopping and changing the team. And they've got, I mean, you look at the players that they've got, the likes of Ruben Vanagre, who's had so much promise, especially, you know, really on, early, I say early on in his career, he's still very, very young. And Diogo Queiroz, who obviously came from Porto, he was the the um you know an absolute stalwart at the back for that team that won the the UEFA Youth League um for for Porto and then Gilles Diaz like and then even the players coming off the bench the likes of Crave who who impressed so much in his first spell in Portugal when he was a Silver Saint and yeah just don't seem to be getting into any sort of rhythm at all and and especially after the first season that they had when they, they um, under Joao Pedro Sousa, and then obviously it's just been managerial change after managerial change. They've now got another manager who's just replaced Silas in Ivo Ferreira, which is a good appointment, a good appointment on paper. How it works out um, will only only time will tell. But they're a team that we, we thought would start to pull away. And we spoke about how many teams are sort of in this battle. So that every week it seems like a relegation candidate is playing another relegation candidate. So <laughs> with um, with so much of the season left to go, but credit to Bovista for pulling off a convincing victory, you know, at home. Has your opinion changed from our last uh, the relegation episode, or do you, you still know think? No, give it too much before the um, the March uh, international break. I think you're gonna have five five teams fighting for relegation. To be fair. Um, about the change, I think is a good change because I said when Silas was appointed to Family Khan, which I think Family Khan is a good enough place to be better, but I don't think Silas was the right manager for them. 
Ivo Vieira is a very, very good manager. My only problem will be that even him said in an interview when he was at Guimarães that his teams take time to understand what he wants and the problem will be they don't have much time now. So, But I think eventually they'll, they'll, be, they'll be safe about the game. Bovista for me has two players. Angel lives in a in another world because obviously he's, he's way better than everyone else. But just below um, Angel, there's Paulinho. They used to be at Sporting in the, in the B team, and uh, he made all his youth through the youth ranks in in Sporting. Very very good player. And then Ricardo Mangas is as well from the youth academy from Benfica, which I think they are clearly good enough to to be in another level if Bovista is not able to to take them to that level. And I think both teams have the same problem, which is they were built thinking they were able to Falimalikão do it again, which is I replace against 20 odd players and I'll keep the same level, which is, is almost impossible to do. <laughs> they were able to do it last year, but it doesn't happen often that you change every play and you keep the same uh, the same strength. And Bovista as well, they, they built a team to fight for Europe. And now they are in a relegation fight, which I think takes time for the players to, to adapt mentally. And but I think Vicious Wildo is enough experience to, to take them to a good to a good position. And now we go to the team who sit at the top of the table. Another win, <laughs> which we, we say we seem to say every single week. A 2-1 victory uh, over Santa Clara. And Santa Clara made them work for it, particularly uh, at the end. The goal was, um, the game was opened up, sorry, by Pedro Gonçalves. Porti scored uh, after 20 minutes. And then that was it, sort of, for the rest of the game until five minutes from time. Rui Costa, not that one. Uh, Rui Costa <laughs> for Santa Clara uh, scored... Um, I say five minutes from time, and it looked like it was heading towards a draw. Which, when you're sporting and you've got that lead at the top of the table, it's not the worst thing in the world. But especially at home, you know you want to take all three points, and that's what they did. We alluded to him before; he could win forward of the month this month. Um, Sebastian Coates in with a ninety third minute winner. Uh, I we actually posted. On the, on the Twitter, the um, the video from Sporting's sort of cameraman behind the goal, which I love in Portugal. That's one of my favourite things about It's just the guy who stands behind the goal and records in the goals as, as they go in on his phone and uploads <laughs> them to the Twitter. And it's like, no other league really has that either. Like, when you watch the games in England, they don't have it. You have to wait for, like, the official highlights from Sky or BT or Amazon or whoever it is. Five quick things, and one of them I think is going to be well um, and popular. First one, we could see how important Porro is. If everyone knew, but now when he didn't play, we could see how important he is. Second, love Santa Clara. It went men for men, and they were probably the team that made Sporting play the worst. I think, no doubt, that was the worst game from Sporting so far this season. Then the goal from Santa Clara. I uh, there's a so many people saying good things about sporting defensively, which they are being amazing. Their goal is shocking because it ends up being on the 84 minute, I think it was, 84, 85 minutes, where sporting clearly is already not in control of the game because the second half, for in my view, Santa Clara controlled the game, they controlled the ball. But on five minutes to go, having a 3v3 inside your box, 
is not acceptable and they can see the goal through that my and un popular opinion will be that Ruben Amuri this game and the game against Putimnes but the win there was already 2-0 I don't think it changes well the team boom people go mental with this, this <laughs> I mean everyone seeing the game I think I could see okay the wing backs are not working Nuno Mendes didn't play well Matej Rey comes in fair with that one no problem then I felt that in the center mid um, we didn't have enough ball I think Amorim felt the same thing that's why he decides to bring uh, Bragança on yes to play almost like a nine a false nine mm -hmm. role in taking uh, Tiago Tomás okay I can see that that's fine then he takes Tabata off and put who does he put uh, for N Tabata? Nunsense. Nunsense, yes okay Nunsense. so Nunsense to go in behind as a threat Bragança to try to be another center mid Pedro Gonzalo I think physically was dead in the second half there's a few passes when Nunsense tries to play him in the ball and he has no speed whatsoever to, to go and grab it in my view there if I was thinking and watching I was thinking bring Jean Pereira on, move Mateus Nunes back in the middle because we need to have the ball but not to keep the ball. We need someone that's able to take the ball into their own half and then keep the ball there because they, they're pressing quite well. And I know then he makes uh, the cross and, and it's an amazing cross but he makes the cross because we're already in a position that we need to fight for the game because I think Jean Mario in these type of games it was, it was not able to influence that much apart from when we actually need the ball. So I was a bit disappointed. I think it, his idea, and it was the same thing against Sport, which is throwing into the pitch loads of midfield and hoping that they will keep the ball. And and, yeah. and I think he needed a bit more power in the middle. And I mm. think Mateusz Nunes was he's not a wing-back. He's, he's very no. good. He has speed. He's able to take the ball forward. But he needs to play in the middle. And, and so I don't think he, he changed it particularly well. And then after the goal, well, Sporting does what Sporting does really well, which is show character. They knew they were, had to go for a win, and they were still able to, to, to score. I think Santa Clara, fair play to them. There was no, even after the goal, no players getting on the floor asking for, for assistance when they needed. And I think they start losing the game in the play before, which is a counter, where, in my view, if I'm coach of Santa Clara, I'm playing their game, I think. Let's keep the ball. Let's kill the game now. Let's forget there's one minute to play. And they try to counter quickly, and then they concede the ball in the transition after that. So I think they start losing the game in that moment. But in the game, yeah, during the other 84 minutes until the goal, it was it was not the best game from Sporting, but fair play to them. They're still able to score at the end. Coates, a complete genius, is a <laughs> strike of the month, like I said. <laughs> you know, there's a name. There's a team we could do with him at the minute, and is his old side Liverpool. <laughs> he could go and um, get into that front three, yeah. bring uh, bring Diogo Jota and Sebastian Quattas in. If we have uh, any Liverpool listeners, you yeah, are we gone. do. Yeah, but as I say, lots of my friends. <laughs> Passes to Ferreira, back to winning ways after uh, a disappointing loss. They round two one winners over Nacional. Um, it was two first half goals from Luther Singh. One of them was an absolute beauty 
if you can yes. go back and watch the highlights, you'll find them. You'll find the goal on Prosimus United on Twitter. Absolute wonderful goal. And then um, Russia scored for National uh, right at the end in injury time, 93rd minute. It was, it was a professional display as well. We spoke about how when they get themselves into winning positions, they don't do anything sort of stupid. They'll be disappointed to have conceded the end, obviously. But, um, yeah, they... Um, yeah, their first off. half was amazing. Yeah. The first half of passes, they were winning 2-0, they could have winning 3-4. Absolutely mm-hmm. controlled the game. Nacional, worst moment in the league so far, four defeats in a row. Next week, they play against Maritim, which lost against Furerens and the... Uh, they changed their manager, and yeah, was moment for the fits in a row. But wish Freire knows knows what he's doing. He's a very very good manager. I think they'll be uh, safe as well eventually. And yeah, Luther Singh, what a goal! But best goal of the the round was a bet, no doubt. Puskas oh, award right there. We what didn't a beauty. speak about that. Wow, you texted me actually, didn't you, saying are you watching yes, this? I was watching <laughs> and the I was game. Like, and yeah, I was yeah, yeah. Mental, <laughs> ridiculous. That was such a good. Goal. I text everyone. <laughs> I went yeah. in every WhatsApp group and put Betters go. Yeah, I um, I do the same thing, and then I also go to Twitter and post it on there as well. <laughs> Twitter, Prosim Jonathan is like my group chat. Um, it's a group chat with with uh, fourteen thousand wonderful people. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, that was that was definitely goal of the round. There's been some outrageous goals in Portugal recently. Um. Some of I'm trying to think. There's there's been a couple even in the in the Crevelo so. Oh, I think it might. Yes, it was. It was. Where he complete he, sits he, down and lays yes. down the keeper. Oh my word! The feints. So just a really quick Portuguese abroad. Um, we saw the first foreign manager to win the Copa de Brazil, and that was Abel Ferreira with Palmeiras. They won two two against Grêmio. Uh, with the ag- aggregate score being 3-0. Obviously, the Copa de Brazil has played over two legs. And in addition to the fact he won the Copa Libertadores, just being a fantastic achievement, especially following on from what we saw Jorge Jesus do last season. But Abel sort of um, won something that JJ didn't, and that's the, the uh, Copa de Brazil, as I say, first for a manager to do it. Um, what an achievement. What a season he's having as well. And it's good to see him getting... Credit back in Portugal as well in terms of sort of the coverage. I was reading a couple of the newspapers online and um, yeah, I feel like at times his achievements didn't get as much uh, attention as they should. But you know, rightly so. He's uh, it's not as if Palmeiras were far and away the best team either in terms of man for man. Um, there's you know there's there's other teams in the league with spending power and stuff. So it's yeah really good achievement. The players have all really bought into him as a manager, him and his style of play, and he seems to, um, he's, yeah everyone seems to just be completely on board with him. I've watched a couple of his interviews there as well, uh, and yeah just looks like he's having a really really good time in Brazil to be honest. Um, Philippe, any thoughts on that? I know you've got another Portuguese manager abroad you wanted to touch on. Yes, on a bell quickly and fantastic, fantastic his declarations as well after the game where he says that he prefers not sign anyone else for the next season as long as Palmeiras is able to pay and not sack any any of their employers, players, staff, um, not even just about the, the, the club, but 
everyone that works with Palmeiras. So I think that's really good and something that other clubs should do more. Yeah. Uh, my, yes, I well, shout out to Pedro Martins from Olympiacos. He got a yeah, 100 win uh, for them. He's doing great uh, the last two seasons. And again, in Europa League, he's going to play against Arsenal. Last season, they played against Arsenal. They didn't quite well. Uh, but yeah, he's doing an amazing job at um, in Greece, especially when he went they lost the title for Paok in his first season. So he had to do a bit of rebuilding of the club, and uh, so far, fantastic. And I think he's he's someone that in Portugal is not being speak enough. But every time he's in Europe, he does a very good job, and this rebuilding of Olympiacos in the last two years has been great as well. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Always good to see um, Portuguese managers abroad as well as players doing well. And as you say, he probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And when you see the performances in the Europa League, they always give a good account to the, of themselves. They, um, you know, they they never they never roll over. I say they're into the latter stages against Arsenal, and you know that won't be a walkover for Arsenal. And you, you saw Olympiacos in the last season and two putting in some good performances. So looking forward to that one, and then. What's that? What's our game called, Philippe? Forgot the, the name. biggest moment of the week, obviously, for everyone. Proxima Jornada predictions. We need to get Jingle on as well. Yeah, we do. Are you I... singing or something? Yeah, you know, <laughs> to know what I'll do, I'll get him. I'll hire him. If there's any 50-year-old women Fado singers who are listening to this and want to... Um, uh, and I'll play the I'll play the guitar, and you can sing the jingle in that real lovely Amelia Rodriguez style. That would be <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> sounds amazing. But do you know what else sounds amazing? And look what? at this transition. <laughs> there on. was one person that actually got three out of three. Really? It was not either me or you. Obviously, it was Henri Amaral. He got three out of three, so he's the winner of the week. So fair play to him. Me, I got one point from Sporting, so if Galatis doesn't score that game, I'll go with zero. You got two points, so fair play to you as well. It's not bad. Not bad at all. These games, are you ready for yeah. this week? First one, another derby. Nacional against Maritimo. The Madeira derby. Mm. You're going to go for what? Mm. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's Nacional at home, isn't Nacional, it? Nacional, yes, Chopana. Okay. Um... Oh, Maritimo with the new, with the new coach, and Nacional on the losing run. It's a hot, it's a half a kick off Friday night. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with Nacional. I'm going to go with the Nacional win. I I went for a draw, so X for me. Yeah. Second game, Porto against Passos. Very good game as well. Look that is forward. Very very good game. Um. And it's on Sunday. I'm going to go in a draw for that. I'm going to go for the next. The only reason why is I think we spoke about how how much the Porto players sort of ran themselves into the ground. They'll be tired coming into it. Passos obviously not playing midweek. They've got a full... It'll be a full... I think it'll be an eight, eight-day rest that they'll, they'll have had. Or nine-day rest, maybe. Did yeah. they play on Friday? So, Did they play Friday? Yeah. And obviously they're... Uh, Tactically very organised, they're a good side, got a fantastic manager there in Pepper and so yeah, I'll go for an X with that, I'll go for a draw. Me too, exactly the same. Same thing because there were so many questions about Mbemba, Pepe and Corona be able to play or not. And they just play on like Pepe and Ben play 120 minutes and Corona play almost that. Uh so I think yeah, they'll be very tired. Then the last game of 
this week there'll be three Portuguese playing and it was just a way actually to speak about Diego Dalot as well what a goal he scored um, it's going to be AC Mil against Napoli oh my word um, and it's at is it in Milan is that home yeah Milan <laughs> I love the home teams don't I um, <laughs> I always ask the first question is it, is it at home um, right let me let me have a little think I mean I'm Inclined to go for Milan. They're at the top of the table. They're well. They're near the top of the table. Sorry, into the top. But I think they're like seven, six or seven points off, maybe. So yeah, and it's Napoli. They sort of dropped down in in um, into in the table. I think they're near. Is it six or seventh? I need to. My Serie A knowledge needs to improve. Um, I'm gonna go with um, a Milan win. Me go, too. And also, what a goal. We have to come back to What that. a goal. Shocking. Amazing. That, um, the dummy, the little feint, like the way the, but he lets the ball run underneath his leg to then bring it out onto onto the other side. Like, that's just so underrated. Like, the finish was amazing, but it was that sort of the little dummy. I love yeah. it when it comes you know, He used to do that a lot when he was at, like, um, at Academy of Porto. Yeah. There was a lot of games where he had to go for big runs like that. So, okay, cool. So, remember everyone that wants to play the game. We'll put on Twitter and I'll take a look after. So fair play to Henri Amaral again for three out of three, a lot better than us. So fair play. Yeah. Shout out to you, uh, Henry, for doing that. So well done. And thank you to everyone who, who participated in the game. I'm sure as the weeks go on, um, more and more people will start getting involved. So can anyone come and take uh, Henry's crown? Uh, I'll be <laughs> trying to come and, uh, and take it myself. I'm on two, you're on one. Yeah, it's so terrible. With three. So, uh, fantastic. Right, well, that sort of wraps us up. Thank you to everyone who listened to this week's episode. Um, it's been a real pleasure as usual. Philippe, thank you. Thank you, brother. No problem at all. And we'll... Um, but, um, yeah, for now, thank you for listening to episode number seven, seven. was it? Seven. I don't know how... You know when you listen to podcasts and people are on, like, episode 392 and they never forget. <laughs> they never forget how many they're on. They're like, Rhett, thank you for listening to episode 4,812. And I'm like, is it episode seven or six? Like, <laughs> you wouldn't think that I'd recorded less than it, 10 podcasts. And you ask that in the beginning and then at the end as well. <laughs> right. Um, okay, no problem. Right, well, thank you everyone who listened same rules apply as always share it retweet it that's me signing off again thank you very much thank you Philippe and we'll see you all next time